everybody, welcome to another episode of First Gear. My name is Eric, I'm one of your hosts. I'm here with my buddy Tanner, and Tanner brought another really cool guest on this week. His name is Oren Harper, a Bonneville Salt Flat racer, who's going to tell us some stories today. And they're actually up in Montana, which is pretty cool, so Tanner's recording on location this week too. What's up, guys? Hey, man, how's it going? Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you guys too. Um, just another Sunday. We got meal prep going. Uh, Chiefs game is on, and yeah, yeah. Just another well, Sunday. And this is my last day up here in Montana. We got to hop on the plane in the morning, head back home. But yeah, this worked out really good. Um, I didn't actually reach out to Oren until like the day before we left, because I'm like, man, I need to make sure he can do it so I can get all my stuff packed. But no, I've been wanting to do this pretty much since I first got the trips scheduled to come out here and uh yeah it's gonna be cool man gonna learn yeah. about something that i really don't know much about so it's always a good day Same. when we learn something right that's right <laughs> right so man Oren, uh thank you for coming on the show man we appreciate the heck of it i know you were pretty close to where tanner's at right now but still it's like sunday afternoon you could be doing a whole bunch of other stuff so we appreciate it, man. Oh, absolutely. You know, glad to be here. And uh, it's an honor for you guys to uh, ask me to come on board. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So, man, Tanner had a pretty decent list of uh, questions for you. I'm going to let him kind of lead off. Yeah, well, we usually like to start um, with most of our guests. Just when did the racing start? Like, what got you involved since you obviously were big into the motorcycles. Where did that start and what gave you the interest to start racing motorcycles or onto the salt flats and so on? Well, racing for me started at kind of an early age as far as, um, you know, just being intrigued with it, um, wanting to just watch it, and talk to the guys, and listen to the machines. Um, my mom's best friend uh, used to race um, a little digger dragster with a supercharged Lancia four-cylinder in it. This is when I was growing up in England. Um, I think I was probably eight years old the first time that I got to jump in the driver's seat and steer it back to the pits for them after a run down the track, you know. And, man, you know, you can imagine an eight-year-old in a dragster steering it by himself. Oh, yeah. You know, and then my, yeah. then my dad's always been a mechanic, you know, and so that kind of fell hand in hand. And <clears throat> my... Um, my Uncle Martin, um, when he was younger, he used to race um, the factory supercharged Triumphs. Um, back in England, he used to race uh, side hacks. Um, and uh, they, they had a team with Triumph. Um, there were two pairs on two separate machines, but they had a bad accident. Um, ended up killing one of their teammates. Um, and so that just kind of, you know, then we moved over here to the States, and it just kind of... Um, kind of went stagnant for a few years um, until I was a little bit older um, after high school. Um, you know, I'd had dirt bikes and stuff growing up, but um, got my first um, Harley and just started wanting to make it faster. You know, it was just this slow turd that made a bunch of noise, you know. And so I just, um, I'd, I'd paid guys, you know, to, to do it for me, even though I, you know, I was mechanically inclined, you know, I just didn't, just scared, I guess, to jump into it. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, things blew up and things weren't done right. And then I vowed never to let anybody else put their damn hands on my bike. So <laughs> started doing it myself and it just, and it just went from there. You know, I um, got a job at Harley Davidson, you know, which came from my passion of, of working on my Harley. Um, and it, and it 
one day I had a fast bike, you know, and it was, it would just pick everything off. It was pretty cool, you know. It was it was just this old ratty, crappy looking bike. It just sounded sweet and ran even better. And um, I picked up a hot bike magazine, and I remember reading about this place called Bonneville Salt Flats, and that was it. Started hearing about it, and then I remember vehicles like the Blue Flame. You know, when I was a little kid growing up in England, and um, Mickey Thompson and Craig Breedlove, and all these, you know, just giants of individuals. You know that mm-hmm. you know that everybody knows about. Um, and that was it, man. I went down there the first time in two thousand, and <laughs> they call it salt fever, and they, it's for a reason. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that was it. Never, never look back. And it's, it's a huge part of my life now. I just, I absolutely, it just, it is amazing. Such a cool place, cool people, and, and just an adventure to go down there and race every time. Oh yeah. Well, and, uh, Travis actually sent me a couple articles this morning that they did on you and you got a pretty crazy story up until you even started racing at the salt flats. And I probably should have asked this first. So, um, when did you guys decide to move to the States? So in 1985, I was 11 years old. <clears throat> um, we, uh, I don't really, I don't really know what stemmed it from my parents. Uh, um, I remember my dad took a trip over here to the States and he, um, back then Delta Airlines had a, an unlimited travel airline ticket for 30 days. You could travel anywhere around the 48 States. Um, oh, that's awesome. yeah, for, for one fixed price for 30 days. And he picked Montana, came home, said, we're moving to America. Montana's <laughs> the place, you know? And I, I, man, I can still remember the news. I remember how it made me feel, how excited I was. I mean, America had just been a place on TV, you know, the 18 yep. fall guy, MacGyver, you know, Airwolf, Knight Rider, all that cool stuff, you know? And, right, right. You know, and that was it. I was moving to live there. You know, pretty cool deal. Pretty exciting. Yeah, so uh, you grew up riding bikes over there in England and all that too? No, no, never. You know, I had a cousin that had a bike, and I got to ride it once. And, yeah, my parents must have seen something they weren't very excited about, and that was it. There were no bikes for me. (laughs) So that didn't happen until I moved over here, and I I met a kid in sixth grade that had one, and kind of went from there. Nice. Yeah, I did. cool. I've never been over to England, so I think that'd be really cool to go see it. And, uh, yeah, you got a crazy story, man. And your mom was in the Army, too, correct? She was, yep. So my mom was born and raised in Israel. Um, And every Israeli has to do a mandatory enlistment in the military. Okay. Um, And back then, yeah, yeah. Back then, it was a two-year enlistment. And so my mom had gone in. Um, She was a sergeant in the Israeli Army. and, uh, yeah, she's a tough cookie, that gal, I tell you. <laughs> I've heard. I can only imagine. <laughs> I have heard that. So you uh, you guys moved to the States when you were 11 years old, and then you met a kid that got bikes, and you just start riding dirt bikes around, or what was that? So, yeah, my buddy Justin Kruger, he had this little 1987 CR80, you know, uh-huh. cool bike, you know. Um, and I. I'd always go down there. We were always together uh, and we take that up on the big ditch and ride on the banks and build jumps and whatnot. And one day my dad had come down to pick me up and 
and I, I'd said, man, I really want, you know, I really want to impress my dad. You know, I want, to, want him to see me on this bike, show him what I can do, and then maybe I'll be able to get one, you know. So, so there was this little spot where we could jump in the ditch and fly down one side and across the ditch on this wooden plank and then fly up the other side and get some air coming out of it, you know. But I, I'd never done it before, you know. Then anyway, I was like, man, my dad's here. You know, I'm going to do this, man. I'm going to show my dad what it's all about. So. Yeah. Justin says to me, oh, a piece of cake, man, get down there, put it in third gear. When you get to the bottom, just hold it wide open, man. It'll come right out. So <laughs> my dad's standing there watching, and I get on this bike, and down one side I go just panicking and freaking out. You know, I was 11, 11 12 years old. And I pegged that thing wide open, and it took off up the other side, launched. It must have launched 12 feet up in the air and crashed right into a barbed wire fence, front wheel first. <laughs> Oh, oh man! Uh, Justin fell over on the ground, laughing his ass off, and I'm pulling barbed wire out of my teeth and out of his seat, and my dad's over there with eyes as big as silver dollars, and yeah, <laughs> my objective wasn't achieved very well that day. <laughs> but anyway, I ended up getting in, uh, my first motorcycle when I was 13, so that was, it was the same thing, CR80, just a couple years older. So it must have been enough to let him get you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I still think about that today. I'm like, you know what? He just watched his son fly through the air and crash in a barbed wire fence. You know, what on earth possessed him to think it was a good idea to let me have a motorcycle? Probably even more so now when he sees the shit I'm doing now, you know. so Yeah. That's life, isn't it? <laughs> oh, man. That's pretty lazy. So, uh, you wait a couple of years, so though, at least. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you probably started working on bikes pretty soon after that, too. I did. You know, I um, when I was seven years, my dad was an auto mechanic when I was a kid growing up in England. Okay. So when I was seven years old is when he started bringing me into the shop, you know, hold this wrench, hold this timing light, you know, hold gas on the pedal until the needle's right there at the two and don't yeah. let it move and then yell at me because I was doing it wrong or <laughs> get the flashlight out of my eyes, you know, shine it down here, you know, same old routine. Oh, yeah. Um, and um, it, you know, it just um, it just went from there. I just always had a fascination. My, my brother and I would steal tools out of the farm workshop when we were little and they had these old abandoned vehicles that the farm mechanic had. And we would take the tools out to the pasture when nobody was looking and we'd start taking stuff apart. You know, the the mechanic, he liked it because then when he'd need a part, it was already pulled off the vehicle laying inside. But we always left the tools in the field. And <laughs> so my dad and my grandpa, uncles, they weren't so impressed with the whole deal. But but yeah, so that's that's where it started as, as far as, um you know, just all around um, turning wrenches. And then um, after moving here, I got um, um got a job with Harley Davidson. So that, oh, that's awesome! Yeah, that kind of what year was? What year was that when you got a job at Harley? Um, I started with Harley in '99. Yep, it was when the first twin cam Harleys were coming out. Oh, that's awesome! Those were still kind of poochy, though. They were like what sixty something horsepower, maybe. Yeah, they were pretty bad. Yeah, sixty something. If you had a good one. <laughs> yeah, I think we had um, some, you know, air cleaners and pipes. You know, stage one kits. You'd be you were happy if you get seventy three or seventy four horsepower out of them. But um, but yeah, you look at what the jet bikes were putting out back then. I mean, that was that was right. uh, pretty sad. Right. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. So what all did you do for Harley? Were you just 
turning wrenches in the shop or what all did you do there? That was pretty much it. You know, um, I just went there as a mechanic, um, a, a good buddy of mine, um, Randy Grand, he, he'd been turning wrenches for many years, had his own uh, bike shop here in Billings and had gone to uh, be a mechanic for Harley Davidson. And he's the one that got me in the door there. He's very good friends with the owner. Um, and just vouched for me, said, hey, you know what, if you hire this guy and bring him on board, um, even though he hasn't been to tech school, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'll let him work at my lift with me. He can use my tools, which was huge. I mean, ultimate compliment from a crabby old guy like him. And um, and, <laughs> so, and that was it. You know, it was, they let me do oil changes and stuff mm -hmm. and then got into services and then doing top ends. And then, you know, next thing it's um, – full motors and race stuff and, you know, studying chassis engineering and you know, all kinds of different things. But it was strictly just mechanics. I got you. How long did you work That was really then? cool. Um, I was there for about six years. <clears throat> um, worked there for six years and, you know, typical story, um, you know, um, changes in personnel, changes in ownership and management. Um, and, um, and it just kind of, it, it ruined a good hobby for me. You know, I loved, I yeah. love, I love Harleys. I love turning wrenches, but when you make it, um, something you do every day for a living, it really changes it. And I think it takes a, a very certain, uh, specific kind of individual to be able to, um, stand the test of time doing it for a living and maintain it as a hobby too. Yeah. I, yes. I can relate to that even with my job too. Um, so what'd you do after you left Harley? So, um, when I left Harley, um, I went back to work for my dad, <clears throat> um, and I'd worked for my dad on and off for, for many years since I was a kid, but you know, it's, it's, a, you know, it's the same old story, you know, you work with dad and, and things are good, but yeah. you know, there's a little bit of extra you got to do all the time and yeah. a little bit extra expected and plus you're right. button heads and then, you know, inevitably it's a little too much one day and you say, well, I'm going to do something else, you know? Yeah, so uh, what was the business your dad had? Um, my dad um, uh, designed and built car washes, uh, self-service car washes, automatic car washes, okay. and then he owns um, a few himself. <clears throat> so it was um, um, the day-to-day -day chores of maintaining his equipment and then also going on the road, you know, building car washes for other people. I see. Did you guys stay pretty local to this area, or did you travel a bit? We traveled quite a bit. Um, most of the stuff was here in Montana, <clears throat> but we did go to Idaho, um, the Dakotas, Wyoming, um, and that's that's about it. That was the extent of our territory up here. You know, a guy can uh, put in a thousand mile a day without too much effort. You know, and so you got to be careful. Yes. You know how far you stick your neck out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can drive, what, like 14 hours and not be to the other side of Montana? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, the largest city in a 500-mile radius to kind of give perspective. Yeah, that's nuts. It is so spread out up there. It's a, it's kind of like that in the Dakotas, too. Like, all the north area up there is just real mm -hmm. spread out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so you went back to working with your dad, and then when you decided to quit doing that, did you get back into working on bikes again? Um, you know, I didn't, I, um, a buddy of mine, um, owns a trucking company out of Sheridan <clears throat> okay. and he had been trying to get me to go and be a mechanic for him working on semi trucks. And I didn't, you know, I didn't want to go work on those big pigs out in North Dakota. I don't blame you. You know, and I mean, but, but he was, he hounded me, hounded me, you know, and then he just caught me at the right time, the right day, you know, things were kind of, um, sour between me and my dad and, you know. And, and I just said, you know, that was it. I decided, you know what, 
I'm going to take him up on it. I went to North Dakota. Um, I told my buddy, you know, I'd work on his trucks for him until I was able to work on them completely. Mm-hmm. And then I was going to buy my oh, own wow. and drive truck. <clears throat> Driving truck. Yep. So I saw on that one article, you got into like hazmat stuff. I did. Yeah. So, um, the money, you know, the Bakken was the big boom. I went out there. Oh, 2011, um, Bakken was just ripping. I mean, it was, I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, the money that was flying through there, the oil, the water, the sand, the, I mean, everything. I mean, I had never seen anything like it in my life. Just unbelievable. And, um, so I went out there, but when, when it stopped, I mean, it stopped overnight. Money stopped coming in. Mm-hmm. And next thing I know, I was pulling out a, a change jar just to get to North Dakota from Billings. And that's all I had to get me back home and, you know, no more money. So I had to pull out. I walked away from my truck, uh, came back. And that was when I got into hazmat tank testing. I used what I'd learned on the trucks in North Dakota um, to help me um, in a hazmat tank inspecting, which my daughter's grandpa was doing back then. And so that's that's how I stepped in. So would that be like kind of early to late 2000s? Um, so no, so, um, that would have been 2011. So I worked for Harley until about, um, 2006. Then I went back to work for my dad. I worked with him for about another four years. Um, and then the beginning of 2011 was when I left to go, um, work in North Dakota. Okay. And then that is what crossed me over into the hazmat tank inspections, which is what I still do today. You're still doing that today. Still huh? doing it. Yeah, that'll probably be the last change for me, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one more subject before we probably get into more of the salt flat stuff, but you got into the, like, search and rescue teams I did. as well. Yeah, yeah. So when um, my son's mom and I, we didn't uh, – we were supposed to get married, but when we were three months pregnant, I canceled our wedding. I knew that it, it wasn't going to be good, you know this woman and I did not need to be married. So anyway, Mason was born. Um, and you know, I just, uh, you know, it was, he was my first kid. Um, didn't really know what I was doing. You know, it's, uh, stepping into, uh, fatherhood, um, with a mother that I don't get along with. So I figured, you know what, I'm, I've, I've always been drawn to the military. So I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to sign up for the Marines. I'm going to go to the military, signed up for the Marines, tried to sign up for the Marines. And he told me I was too damn old. <laughs> pissed me <laughs> off so anyway um so i tried the army tried the navy the air force same thing they all told me i was too old um and man it just just upset me you know i was really bummed out i really wanted to go over there and fight a little bit and help out do my bit for my country and i just bummed that that, that had been taken away from me and um and that kind of stayed with me for quite a while you know the the regret that i hadn't done it sooner um you know, people thinking that I'm too old and my head telling me otherwise. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and so one day I was delivering uh, car wash parts for my dad and um, I ran into um, this gal. Uh, her husband um, is the dive commander for U.S. Water Rescue Dive Team. And so I was pouring my heart out to her about being too old for the military. And she said, well, have you ever thought about diving as a way to give back to your community and country? And I said, no, I've never been diving. And she said, well, why don't you give it a go? Come to a meeting. So I went to the meeting and um, dove a couple of times. And, you know, it was the adrenaline rush is what got me. 
you know, you, we, we go yeah, in yeah. black water. A lot of times it's 33, 34 degrees in the water. Um, you can't see your own hand on your mask, you know, so when you find a body, you bump into them face first. And, wow. You know, I mean, adrenaline just pours into your body. It's insane. You know, the first thing you want to do is spit your regulator out, hit your inflator and shoot to the surface, you know, but you got to rein it all in. You got to stay down there. You got to keep your hands on the body. Um, you got to maintain mental toughness and and right, right. proceed with the operation and get up you know and that was just really cool feeling to me to be able to encounter that kind of mental difficulty and then just persevere and get through it see the operation to the end you know it really mm -hmm. intrigued me yeah, um, yeah. so that's what kept me um through the early days but once you once you come across a mother that's sitting on a shore, you know, and, and all um, branches of uh, law enforcement have um, extinguished their resources and, and she's left by herself on a shore, um, knowing that her kid is out there in the water somewhere and nobody's there to help her, um, to be the guy that comes and helps and gives them that closure and brings back um, probably what is the most cherished thing, um, in their lives. And, um, yeah. and just to do that for somebody, just, it turned it around for me. Um, it turned it around from something that was about personal gratification, the adrenaline rush, getting mm -hmm. through it to, wow, you know what, this really is what I was looking for in the military, you know, to give back to my mm -hmm. country and, and um, yeah. my fellow man. And, and now it's a job I could never walk away from, man. It's 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 so cool. It's 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 the best feeling in the world, you know, to be able to help people, especially at that level. Yeah, I can't even yeah, imagine. Absolutely. That's got to be pretty surreal every single time. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> it is. It's um, it's pretty wild, but it's um, it's it's a gift from God, man, to be able to do that. You know, much like being a dad. You yeah. Know, there's certain things that we're blessed with in life. Um, that are unimaginable um, no matter what people tell us about them up to that point we we never have um, full grasp of what it actually means what it actually consists of um, and it's uh, yeah it's 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 cool it's it's an honor man it really is an honor to be able to do it yeah and I think I read you've been doing that 14 years now yep 13 years 13. Yep. <clears throat> yeah man that's awesome all yeah, while you're cool. still out there trying to go like 200 mile an hour on a bike, but <laughs> trying, still trying. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. I, uh, I really wanted to get some of your backstory because you just, you've done about everything. So, <laughs> so we got to get that story out too, but man, we want to get yep. into the salt flat stuff. Um, when was the first time you went down to Bonneville? In 2000. <clears throat> so in 2000, um, I had this fast chopper, you know, ugly, um, but it just ran really well. Uh, and I just, I'd read enough about Bonneville that I just wanted to go and see, you know, I had the fastest bike up here in middle of nowhere, which doesn't really <laughs> count for much. So I went, you know, I was like, man, let's go, let's take it down to Bonneville, see how I fare against the fastest guys in the world. And, well, that was kind of a disappointment. That didn't go anywhere near as planned. <laughs> And so, uh, well, you were, so you were rocking what your Harley bike. Um, so the, the bikes, um, originally started out as a 1978 Harley Davidson low rider. Um, okay. 
but it went through oh probably three complete rebuilds prior to getting to Bonneville and it's been through probably four more since then. Um, there's, I don't think there is one part left on the bike that is from the original 78. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's nuts. Um, so you went down there and so how, explain to me, how does that work? Do you go down, do they have different classes and what are the, how do you race? Is it like drag racing or I don't, sorry for my ignorance. No. I just, I don't know a whole lot about the salt flats. So uh, what are, what was the event like that the first time you went down and tried to race all the fast guys? So, you know, the, <laughs> it, it was an eye opener. It was probably one of the most humbling weeks of my life. <laughs> Um, but I probably learned more in that week about racing than I've learned any other time in my life. Um, so I, my bike was my main mode of transportation, so it didn't get torn apart until two weeks before leaving for speed week. Um, and that was when I was going to decide that two weeks was what I needed to tear the bike apart and rebuild it as a race bike and go down there and go race it. So needless to say that part of the plan didn't go well at all and ended up having to work on the bike for the first five days of speed week so we're, we're talking a seven day event and i'm in my trailer it's probably 120 degrees in the trailer um, oh man i got shut down a tech inspection they gave me a long list of stuff i had to do on the bike so there i sat in this trailer sunrise to sunset in this miserable heat um but it was the most amazing place that i've ever turned wrenches in my life i mean if you know if i could be somewhere to design build and finish my machines it would be at the bonneville salt flats be it 120 degrees be it in a trailer that is the best place in the world to turn wrenches i mean you're hearing all day long you hear motors dumping 5,000 horse to the ground 3,000 2,000 whatever some of them are only putting out 20 horsepower but they're the fastest in there in their in their class and that's what you hear all day long um and so i finally got the bike done on the fifth day um past tech inspection and they let me make a, a run um there were some things that they'd extended um tremendous grace um regarding and that you know there were certain things i was supposed to have on the bike and they were like ah you know they didn't think it was gonna do a whole bunch i'd imagine so they said yeah have at it well, first first run you do out there has to be between 100 and 125 miles an hour. Um, they don't let you yeah. just go there and just, you know, take of whatever you've got and go as fast as you can. You got to earn, you got to earn your shot at wide open throttle over a number of miles. Of so there is a minimum speed for every class. Um, well, so it's it's what they call licensing passes. Okay. And so you have to do your licensing passes. Um, the license, there isn't just um, one license. The, they're set up into categories based on speed. You have uh, 100 to 125, 125 to 150, 175 to one, uh, 200, and then from 200 to 300, and then above 300, it's, I just think it's an open license. So you have to go down there, do 100 to 125. You can't go slower and you can't go above. Um, you're demonstrating control of your motor vehicle to the you know the, the inspectors and you know all the guys with sCTA and bni um, second run you get to go one 
150 to 175 and, and up in the 25 mile an hour increments. So anyway, I did 107 miles an hour. You know, I, I don't have any gauges or anything. I, I've never run a tack. I've never run a speedo. The only um, information I get from my machine is oil pressure. I have a light and that's it. Um, I always keep things simple. Uh-huh. And so anyway, so I, you know, it was, it was my street bike. I drove it every day on, to work, you know, so it, it, I know, I know the bike, you know, very well. So I ran right. 107, which was right where I needed to be. Um, super excited. My first run at Bonneville, you know, I mean, talking a million miles an hour, just on top of the world and super excited to go back and, and run again the following day. So anyway, we get back there the following day and they're tearing down the racetrack. They'd had so many vehicles blow up that they shut the event early and I never got to make a second run. Oh, no. <laughs> so uh, how long's the track? So I've seen the track, the entire track, as long as 14 miles with nine timed miles. Wow. wow. So the first, so, well, let me rephrase that, six timed miles. Um so the first um, timed mile is the third mile. You've got two miles to get up to speed. Um, yep. And then they have, you can use any of the timed miles as your mile for your speed. But with Bonneville, um, it's your average speed for a whole mile. It's not just your max speed as you exit the mile. The speeds okay. that go into the records are an average over a whole mile, start to finish. So well, you've got to be pretty that. much... At the end of the second mile, you've got to be up there. You've got to be wide open. You've got to be sailing as fast as you can when you enter that mile and hold it wide open all the way through the end, um, you know, which is about 20 seconds, you know, at 180 miles an hour. So, you know, 20 seconds doesn't seem like a whole lot, but when you're wide open on a machine for 20 seconds, man, it's like an eternity. I mean, you can it, – it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. It seems like a long time. I, I, I can imagine what it's like on a bike. Like, yeah, in a car, that's one thing, but in a bike, that's totally different. You're open to all the elements at that point. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, something that a lot of people don't know about Bonneville. It's very slippery. Um, it's it's not like you can't get power to the ground. I can only grab wide open throttle at the very top of fourth gear and fifth gear. If I try to power in the first um, three gears and back tire just spins and the bike starts fishtailing and going sideways. And that's when the track is dry. Um, You get it wet and add some moisture to it. And every bump I hit in high gear, the back tire breaks loose and I start fishtailing at 170 mile an hour, you know? So it's, that's terrifying. It it certainly can be. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's crazy. That was actually going to be my next question was what's the surface like? It's, um, you know, it, it's different every year. No two years are the same. They get, they can be similar, but there's always, um, differences to it. Uh, Mother nature is the, the key ingredient to the condition of the salt. Um, and that sets down the, the groundwork for the prep that SCTA and BNI do for us. Um, they do a fantastic job, man. SCTA, I mean, the, the track they provide for us is just absolutely incredible, but it's, um, there's a lot of heaves and and you get low spots and so they have this massive um uh, framework made out of i-beams that they drag when they're prepping the track and they start doing this a couple months prior to the event so they're prepping out tracks and courses and and as long as the events the you know the weather events Mm -hmm. and the grooming events from SCTA when they 
coincide together, then you end up with this beautiful, hard, dry, smooth track. But a lot of times you get moisture. And once you get that moisture in there, then it's it's all up in the air and you just don't know what you're going to have. Um, I've had tracks. I won't ever race on a wet track again. Um, I've had some um, close calls down there. I've seen some really bad accidents. And so it, it's just not worth it for me to run on it wet again. Right. Um, but um, when it's good, it's really good. When it's bad, it's terrifying. That's, <laughs> yep. That doesn't sound nope i'm not chancing that at all i was actually kind of curious what time of year so it sounds like it's midsummer or some summertime when they host the events is that right it is yep the first event of the year um is um uh, speed week um which is by far the biggest event it's the coolest one it's the one that has the um the highest count of race vehicles uh bikes cars streamliners trucks everything that can race at bonneville um will be racing there at speed week um, then they have um, two or three event, three events, I think, in September, and then another event in October, the World Finals. October, though, is a tough one because it, quite often it gets rained out. Um, so, if you know, I can only go down there once a year, and if I wait till October and then it gets rained out, well, then it's two years that I don't get to race, you know, and that's just, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I, just I don't want any part of that, so. No, I'd rather run when it's super hot than not run at all, for sure. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. You know, you pay for it in power, you know, it's tough. It's tough to make power. Once you, you start getting up to those temperatures, it's been as high as 110 degrees at the starting line. Um, so, you know, for, I, you know, I don't know what the guys with the laptops and all the technology do, but for a guy that's just running an old carburetor, that doesn't have an accelerator pump, man, you really got to be on top of your tuning and your jetting. Um, corrected air density altitude will change anywhere from, Oh, 4,200 feet to 7,400 feet in about five hours from, from morning, you know, the, the density, the air density in the morning to the, mm-hmm. the heat of the day. Um, I mean, you're looking at three jet changes sometimes, you know, just to stay on top of it. Wow. That's crazy. So do you just keep the same carburetor on that? I'm assuming you just swap the jets out real quick, or do you have like three separate carburetors that are already done that you just swap and put those on there. No, I, I keep everything. The bike is, um, as it, as it gets to the salt. And then all I do is just taint, um, uh, tuning and, um, repairs. Um, so it, it's, it's real simple. It's an old S and S carburetor. Um, easily okay. access the float bowl. Um, I can do a jet change in probably about three or four minutes. So it's, it's, it's real simple to work on. That's, it's kind of why I don't have a tack and a speedo and, Lots of the other things that most mm-hmm. of the other vehicles have is I, I'm a stickler for simplicity. You know, simplicity is what has provided me with success. And so I kind of, I stick to that. Yeah, you got to stick with what works. Yeah, laptops, they I don't think they'll do much for me. Um, <laughs> maybe if I knew how to use them, but right now, yeah, paperweight's about it. So it's a... it's a different ball game when you start breaking out the laptop and doing tuning that way for sure. I was actually kind of curious, how far is uh, the salt flats from your house? So you live up in Montana, I'm assuming. How far is the salt flats from your house? Um, It's just over 700 miles. You said that like it was no big deal. That's a long way away. <laughs> it is. You know, it is. Um, <clears throat> But, you know, when, you, when you're aware of what waits for you at the end of that trip, um, you know, and it's not one day, it's not two or three days, it's it's seven days long, you know, it's, um, 
yep. you know, for months before, you know, the anticipation, the excitement builds, you know, and, and luckily with social media, you know, I can stay in touch with all my buddies that are the mm-hmm. race there too. You know, there's not very many of us up in Montana and, and, and the vibe, you know, it just gets more intense and it gets heavier. And then that, you know, that last week gets there and you're, scrambling and so by the time it's you know it's time to get in the truck and hit the road i mean you're so you're just so ready for it that i mean there are guys that come from australia you know i mean yeah it doesn't matter how far man that's the holy grail of land speed racing and and if you're serious about land speed racing that's just where you go man yeah oh heck yeah that sounds like a blast oh man it's you know every it it's undescribable. It really is. I can, I can sit here, I could sit here for three hours and tell you about it and try and describe it to the best of my ability. And I could not provide you with a fraction of what it's actually like, how it feels. Um, you know, my, my crew that comes down there with me, they're a bunch of old bikers, you know, radical bunch, you know, went to Sturgis every year for decades. Mm-hmm. And the first time they came to Bonneville, that was the last time they went to Sturgis. They, every year they're at Bonneville, and that's what it's like for everybody. It doesn't matter if it's, um, you know, uh, um, somebody's wife or girlfriend that's never been there before, doesn't even know what a spark plug is. When they go there, they they leave with this massive appreciation and just this. It's a high. It's 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 just it's incredible. It's it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, and. Like we talk about all the time, I think that's just racing in general. There is something about racing that once you get involved in it, you just can't get away. No. No matter how hard you try, you can sell everything you have that's racing related. And then next thing you know, you got twice as what you had the first time. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Let's do it again. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, after your first trip down to Bonneville, and it was an eye-opening experience, uh, what did you do after that? Did you continue like engineering that bike you had or did you build a new bike what'd you do there well i like because i'd only done 107 miles an hour at bonneville i I had all this gearing on the bike to do 180 and i didn't really get to walk it through the paces you know so Uh of course the first thing i did when i got back home was get on the interstate and put it in high gear and hold it wide open (laughs) um you know until it hit hit the rev limiter in high gear and yeah, I won't. I won't say how fast that was on a public road, but probably more than they wanted me to go anyway. <laughs> um, and so, um, you know, it was my daily mode of transportation. So I get back, and of course, then the Bonneville gearing comes back off, and it's back into my mode of transportation to get to the Harley shop. You know, um, with what I learned from two thousand, um, I applied um that to my next trip was 2002 when when Trine came down there with me okay and um and that was a lot better um got down there i was pretty much ready to go i think i um we worked on the bike for oh maybe a day if that and started racing and i was able to do laps you know just one mm-hmm. after another after another every day for a whole week i just, i don't i couldn't even tell you how many runs i made <laughs> Um, and I think my best speed on that bike was, oh, I think like 146 back then. Um, and, and that was it, you know, and so, yeah, just ended up leaving there. I was happy with 146. It wasn't what I wanted, but that's all part of, you know, Bonneville is, is speaker of truth. 
and uh, it, uh, it lets you know exactly where you're at. Yeah, it does oh, yeah. not lie. <laughs> <laughs> so is this the same bike that Travis ended up painting for you? It is, yeah, yeah. So um, Travis painted it, um, painted it in 2001, 2002, because it was painted in, in 2002 when I went down there. Okay. Um, and it's, yeah, that paint job is still on the bike. So is this the one that you rode all the way down there with no seat? Yeah, yeah, it is. So it's, you know, I went there in 2000, uh, 2002. Um, and, you know, I just, you're never happy, you know, you're, you're happy that you got to go down there. You're happy you got to race, got to see all your buddies. You had an amazing time, but, but res- the results are, you know, they're, they're never what we want them to be. Um, right. so, so I, um, I kind of stepped things up for 2004. I climbed from 2000 CC class limit to 3000 CCs. Um, I ran, um, modified push rod gas class. Um, and, um, people had always told me you can't, you can't find land speed racing success on a street bike that you ride on the street. Well, I just didn't buy it. You know, it just doesn't, you know, yeah. So what if that's the way everybody else does it? So what if that's the limit that they placed on their success? It's not what I'm going to do. And so yeah. I decided that I was going to ride my bike. I had a new motor um, and and it hadn't been broken in yet. I, I could barely even get the thing started. It's a kickstart only bike. So I was trying to kickstart this 2025cc um, chopper. Um, you know, and I only weighed 165 pounds back then, you know, it was, it was a pain in the ass. Um, but I was, I was hell bent on doing it. So I got this thing fired up. I only had a range of about 77 miles on my gas tank. So my mom and dad had a truck and trailer with all my tools and parts and everything. And I said, I, man, I'm riding, um, just stay in front of me. I'll stay behind you. I don't have a speedo. Um, when I need gas, I'll pass you. We'll pull over on the side of the interstate. We'll fill it up. So so anyway, we got down to about, oh, I can't even remember. I remember how my ass felt. Um, <laughs> but, man, it was, it was miserable. I'd taken the rear shocks off the bike. You know, I didn't have a seat on oh it, gosh. so no rear suspension. And all I had was this piece of sheepskin for a seat on the frame rails. And, man, it, oh, it was terrible. So That sounds so painful. It was. about it. It was awful. I, I, mean, I can see myself fidgeting on the seat right now going down the road, you know, left cheek, right cheek. Oh, you know, that doesn't feel good. You know, do it all over again. Still doesn't feel good. So I, I passed him and I, you know, told him to pull over. And luckily I found my mom. She had one of those green foam uh, kneeling pads for gardening. And it was in the trailer still. And I, man, I'd never been so happy to see a piece of foam in my whole (laughs) life. I grabbed that thing and put it on underneath that sheepskin. Boy, I was in tall cotton, man. It was good. (laughs) And so anyway, it's, uh, you know, still uncomfortable as hell, but a lot better than what I had. And I, we got there, I rode it down to, um, uh, Salt Lake city. It was late that night. I rode it to Salt Lake. I was comfortable with the miles that I put on the motor, um, broken it in and, and ready to, to rip its guts out, see if it would uh, sing for me. <laughs> Man, that's pretty wild. So we usually ask everybody about their favorite, like, travel story, because we hear all <clears throat> kinds of crazy stuff from people sleeping in the back of the trailer, like, working on race cars while they're going down there and stuff like that. What is your favorite, like, travel story from driving, you know, as many years as you have down to the salt flats? 
Oh man, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, they're they're all they're all adventures, you know. Um, yeah, you know, probably for me, um, it's not so much about the adventure. Um, it's it's the first time I took my kids down there with me. Um, that that is what changed it all. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's always an adventure going down there. You know, you, mecha- machines fail. You know, you got tires blowing out. You got radiators getting a hole in them. You know, you're pulled over on the side of the salt flats, seventy miles away, um, trying to fix stuff. You know, uh, trailer tires blow out. Um, yeah. two, two, you know, luckily I bring all my gear with me. I bring every tool I've got: grinders, welders. Um, I brought a drill press before. I mean, just everything. Um, two years ago, we were coming down, I think we were in Idaho Falls and stopped at a Love's truck stop. And I just happened to be walking around the trailer and something looked kind of weird on a spring hanger. And I looked under there and I had a spring hanger about to fall off the trailer. So out in the middle of nowhere, had to pull the welder out, fire up the generator and grind up some steel and weld hangers back on the trailer and, and get back on the road and get down there. Um, that's crazy. So yeah, we've had, we've had adventures, you know, as far as that goes, you know, weather. Um, but you know, going down there with my kids, just being able to share that with them. Um, they're not really into it so much now. I've kind of burned them out on it, but that's, it's, um, you know, they got to see, uh, Mickey Thompson's son, Danny Thompson run a 453 in his streamliner. You know, they still don't understand what they saw, but I mean, anybody's, you know, been a, you know, that's a little bit older, that's a gearhead. I mean, MT, you know, Mickey Thompson, I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a pedestal in any of our sports, you know, regarding motorsports. And um, one day they'll realize, you know, what they got to see. Um, So, so that, that was cool to be able to share it with them. That is too cool. That seems to be a common thing whenever people have kids though, is that as soon as they can start taking their kids, like if you ask for other race car drivers, some of their favorite victories is when they get to, you know, celebrate with their kids at Victory Lane and stuff like that. It's just, it hits different when you get to take your family down there with you and then show them what, you know, dad's been talking about for this whole time. And they actually get to see it with their own two eyes. And you're like, wow, that's crazy. You actually ride on that bike 150 some odd miles an hour on salt flats, which is just nuts. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's wild. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, you know, and they got to be there when I um, uh, set my record too, and it's, yeah, like you said, just sharing it with your children, man, is yeah, family, family, friends. That's where it's at, right? <laughs> that's yeah. right. So, what's I the record that you? Did. Yeah, what's the record that you set? Um, so in two thousand four, when I rode my bike down there, um, I ended up setting a, a new world record on my chopper. Um, and it was, it was a real soft record. Um, my record in 04 was 139. Um, and then somebody came back in 05, uh, they broke it. They, uh, bumped it up to 150. So I went back with my chopper again in 2006 and I beat it, um, again, I did a 151.389 on 150 mile an hour record. Um, and then that was the last year. Oh, six was the last year that I raced my street bike. Um, I started, um, building a new bike, uh, based on an old, um, Bonnie Truett race frame, drag race frame. And I came campaigned that the first time in, uh, 2016, but didn't get to race until 2018, um, because of weather and 
other issues. Um, and then the record that I was running against on the new bike in 2018 was 176.271. Um, first run out on the new bike, never ridden it before. First run out, it laid down 150 miles an hour like it was just taking a stroll in the park, man. I couldn't believe it. No tack, no <laughs> speedo. Awesome. I had to, so I, it was, they made me relicense. So I had to relicense from 125 to 150. <clears throat> so I take the bike out, first run, and and it all of a sudden dawns on me, man, I'm going pretty fast. You know, I better slow down a little bit. I don't want to bust 150. And I, I, I was just blown away with how this bike was running. So. I rolled out of it, went through the exit, um, and got my time slip. I'd entered the time mile at 127, and I exited at 150.3, and they, they let oh, me wow. slide with it. Yeah, even though I'd broken out by three-tenths, they still let me slide. Um, wow. Fifth run out on the bike, I broke that record. I did a 176.8-something, um, but I failed on the backup um, because I don't run any gauges. Um, I short shifted into high gear. Um, I was outside the power curve motor nosed over and by the time wow. it had pulled back up, it, there was too much time gone and I was unable to make that speed back up. So my backup, you gotta, you gotta break the record twice at Bonneville to get it. Um, so oh, I man. missed it, but, um, but the seed had been planted, man. I knew the bike could do it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, you see, and the motor was, the motor's a street motor that I pulled out of my chopper. Um, it, it's not even one of my race motors. Um, the class is a fuel class. So there's guys running nitromethane, you know, top fuel, mm -hmm. um, alcohol, nitrous. Um, and my motor is a pump gas motor. So I ran it on pump gas. I just wanted to see how this new bike was, was going to behave. I had no idea that I was going to break, um, yeah. you know, a, a 10 year national or actually it was a world record, a 10 year world record. My fifth run out on this new bike. Um, especially on pump gas. <clears throat> so, so anyway, I, um, that became my goal. I wanted to, I wanted that fuel record, um, yeah. in a 3000 CC class with only 2025 CC motor <clears throat> on pump gas. And that was it. I, I had nitrous on the bike. I wasn't going to turn the nitrous on until I got that fuel record on pump gas. Mm -hmm. Um, so I went back. Um, 2018 was when I broke the record fifth, um, fifth run out 2019, um, real close within a few tenths, um, 2020, uh, same thing, real close, uh, 2021 went out there and I ran a 176.890 on a 176.271 world record. Uh, my backup run was only a 176.35 on a 176.271. And so you were right there. Right there, man. Oh. Right there. And so they take the average of both of those runs, and I beat the old 12-year record by only like three-tenths of a mile an hour. Wow. Yeah, but it's in That's the books. awesome, though. Yeah, got in the book. But books. you still got it. That's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, that's crazy that it comes down to just that much. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's when, once you get down, you know, an old guy once told me when you get to about 180 miles an hour, um, you don't get 
big jumps in speed. You don't get big changes. Every it's every small thing earns you a small thing, and, mm-hmm. and you, yep. you got to stack them. You got to figure out how to stack them to get the the big yeah. changes. You know, it's like stacking pennies is yeah. what I've heard people say before. There yep. you go. So how does the how's the backup run? You just you have to do one run, break it, and then you have to do it again. Yeah, is that how that works? Okay. It is. So, like I said, it's it's um it's not an exit speed. It's not a top speed. It's a it's a, a flying mile average speed over a whole mile. Um, it can be your third mile. It can be your fourth mile, fifth mile, whichever one of those time miles you want to use. You you can use that for your timed mile. And you have to go through all six timed miles correct no no you only have to run through um you have to earn your right to be able to run the long track which is anything over three miles okay um you have to do uh, you have to break 175 if you break 175 then you're allowed to run the long course which is um like i said it varies i've seen it as as long as nine miles um time through the ninth mile okay um but um if you if you're qualifying run is in the third mile, then your backup run, you have to take your time from the third mile. You can't, I got gotcha. you. You can't take okay. a speed from the third mile, your first go, and then a speed from your fourth mile, the second go. That see makes what sense. I'm saying? Yep, so that if, makes sense. So if you want, if you're going to use the fourth mile, it has to be the fourth mile for both attempts. Okay. Gotcha. That makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah, and I've only, I've only run the third mile so far. I can run, th- uh, you know, as far as I want down the track. Um, but I essentially treat it like a three mile drag race. Um, mm-hmm. because if I don't, if I try to leave the line lazily, you know, um, being real cautious about spinning the tire, then I don't have what I need up top. Um, mm-hmm. but if I treat it like it's a drag race and let the ass end hang out there and spin and fishtail and, and just keep grabbing gears and dig as hard as I can, um, all the way through, then the third mile, you know, I can, I can apparently I can find some success out there. So. Man, but be... uh, it's um so you do you if you break if you break a record then you go into what's impound you have 60 minutes to get to impound from the time on your time slip if you're outside the 60 minutes you're just you're not disqualified but you don't get a backup run um once oh, wow. you're once you go to impound they keep the machine there um they keep it there overnight and then all backup runs are made the following morning okay uh, it's the first thing they do every day after the first day is, is, is a backup return runs. Um, and so, you know, it, it works out well because that's where an air density is the best, you know, mm-hmm. the vehicles are making the most power, um, corrected air density, yeah. you know, like I said, has dropped 3000 feet from where it is, you know, mid afternoon. Mm-hmm. But again, you've got to, you got to take all that into consideration. If you're going to find success in that fat morning air, after making a qualifying run in the heat of the day, you got a lot of changes to yep. make in tuning to be able to benefit from that from mm-hmm. that morning air. And that's what I was going to ask you. What do they let you do the next morning before you do your backup run? What do they let you change on it? Anything? So, no, <clears throat> there's, you know, I've never been in a position where I've had to change um, a bunch of um a bunch of components on the bike. It's always been jetting changes, tuning mm-hmm. changes, which I they have no problem with. Um, I'm not sure if you can tear into the motor. I think the motor itself has to stay intact and has to be able to run those two runs. Okay. So uh, 
what how much uh how much of an impact does like air pressure make for you guys it um air density like tire pressure sorry oh, tire, pre- tire oh, pressure oh huge huge um <clears throat> you know and again it comes down to the to the track itself um mm-hmm. You know, when the track starts to get wet, well, then you um, you lose traction drastically. Um, mm-hmm. So then you've got to soften up your tires a bit to get more bite. As the you know, as the track firms up, as it becomes harder, um, then you can raise the pressures um, and then just kind of go from there. It really comes down to um, to the machine, um, the rider. And and, yep. and what the tire is doing. Um, mm-hmm. If your tire is spinning, you know, you got to dump pressure. If it's not spinning and you don't have a problem with traction, well, then you can just keep raising it up to reduce resistance. Mm-hmm. So what kind of tires do you guys run? Are they slicks or they kind of got some tread in them? Well, so, yeah, so, so it, it depends. You know, there's lots of different approaches. Um, that's one of the unique things about Bonneville is that you can have um, two vehicles racing in the same class but they are night and day apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that approach, it, it crosses over with all the components in, in, in you know, in those said vehicles. Um, I run a slick on the front, uh, an 18 inch slick, uh, Mickey Thompson tire. Um, I run it as high as 60 PSI. Wow. Um, wow. and then on the back I run, well, this far I've run a, a tire that I probably shouldn't have been running. Um, it's a Taiwanese tire made by a company called Shinko or Shenko. Um, I was advised not to run that tire on the salt flats, um, but it's the only one I've run on the new bike, and it it served me well. Um, I think I was running probably your oh, thirty eight to forty two psi in that one. Okay. So do you guys uh, do you just use regular air or do you use nitrogen in them? Because I know like uh, in the oval track stuff sometimes teams will go to nitrogen for certain things obviously there's different rules that you can't but the nitrogen it doesn't expand Mm -hmm. and that'll help from keeping the tire glaze over especially on dirt track stuff yeah you know um i've heard of guys doing that i don't know about down at bonneville um you know uh tire temperature is a huge concern for um, land speed racing especially on the salt flats because it, it um you know, the, the tire deterioration happens so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's, it, you know, some, um, you know, it, it kind of depends on, yeah, it, you know, it just, it, it depends on every vehicle, you know, everybody's approach. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what it comes down to, you know. Just, mm-hmm. Yeah, I just. Eric and I both we kind of nerd out on stuff like that. We yeah. just like knowing all the all the mm-hmm. fine details of all the different tunings and like whether you use nitrogen or air or whatever. It's just it's just everything in race and it's everybody's got a different approach and it's just stuff like that fascinates it's us. Fun. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know. You... Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. There was a slight delay on my end, so all of a sudden it like started going again. Um, it's, um, you know, um, tires get really hot down there. Um, so there is, um, there is the potential for significant change in tire pressure. Um, but it's just generally so hot down there Mm -hmm. that, you know, the machines are sitting out in the sun anyway, you know, you're in the staging lanes and, and so everything's out in the heat. So the tires are pretty hot, you know, before you get started. Right. 
Um, and, and like I said, when you, when you start spinning tires out there, you know, that's the beginning of the potential for things to go drastically wrong. Um, so I'm, I'm always, you know, careful about how much tire spin there is. And, and therefore that kind of eliminates the, um, the potential for extreme, extreme changes in tire temperature. Yeah. And you said, uh, you said it's a hundred, you've had it 110 degrees at the starting line. Is that just ambient temp or is that track temp? That's ambient temperature. Um, the track is oh, actually wow. really cool because it's bright white. So you can touch it and it doesn't really feel hot. Um, okay. But it's like sandpaper. And so there's a lot of friction generated between the, the track and the rubber. And that's where the heat comes from. <clears throat> These, um, a lot of guys are um, delaminating tires after about four or five runs. They're having to change tires every, that often. Wow. Yeah, oh, every, wow. Every day they got to have a new set of tires on there. That's crazy. That was going to be my next question. How fast you went through like sets of tires or if you changed them every run or kind of how that worked. You know, it's, um, I haven't had problems with tires yet. <clears throat> um, it, it would appear that the guys that are really dumping tons of power to the ground, um, turbo, you know, would be a good example, you know, coming on and off a of boost. Um, mm -hmm. you know, when that, when that boost rolls in, um, you know, they're, they're hitting a lot of pounds. And so the tire has a, you know, tends to want to break loose and start spinning. Um, you know, and, and then the speeds they're going, you know, they're up in, they, I guess once you get into the one eighties, uh, low one nineties, then funny things start to happen with tires. They start to, what happens is the weight of the tread on the tire the centrifugal force wants to pull that away from um, from the center of the tire. Um, right. it's, it's trying to separate the layers. It, it, it delaminates the tire. And so what happens is then the, the tire starts to just spit chunks of rubber off. I haven't come to that point yet. Um, you know, my bike's really light. Uh, the bike only weighs about 400 pounds. That comes into play. Um, I'm only, oh, wow. you know, doing, I think my exit speed is about 180. So I'm just starting to come up to that speed where I might run into issues. Um, so I've run the same set of tires on my bike since I first campaigned the bike, um, in 16, so well, I started racing it in 18, but, um, same tires the whole time. I haven't had any issues with them. I just took them off because I felt like, um, I just changed the rear tire, excuse me, because I felt like I was pushing my luck. I, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> problems i want to find when the bike's sitting still not when i'm going right. down the track you know so <laughs> absolutely so, uh, not, not going that fast on a motorcycle no. oh it would be nuts so when did you uh when did you retire the bike that uh travis painted for you didn't you have a name for that bike too frida frida okay <laughs> <laughs> yep frida um so 2006 was the last time i raced frida um, and that was, um, I still ride it. I just won't race it again. Um, mm. it just, um, I just, you know, it's just a fun little bar hopper bike, you know, yeah. but, um, it's, it's racing days are done. Um, not because I didn't enjoy riding it, but because now I think I'm, I'm at a, you know, I'm at a speed where that bike just, it, it wouldn't even be able to keep up, let alone make progress for me, you know, mm -hmm. man. I need to get over and see that bike sometime. You guys should. You should. You should come over. You're more than welcome to come by the shop. And, and please, you know, I, I welcome you guys to Bonneville. Come down and hang out with us, you know. Come yeah. hang out in the pits and check out. I mean, there we've seen the first uh, wheel-driven vehicle break 500 miles an hour. 
Wow. A couple years ago. What? Yeah. Yeah. 503 miles an hour. Wow. That's just wild. Oh, yeah. It just, it is. It's too cool. Yep. To see them, to actually see a vehicle do it, it's, um, it's, it's staggering. Absolutely staggering. That's just got to look like a blur. You know, you would think so, but they have the pit so somewhere is between an eighth and a quarter of a mile away from the track. So, so yep. And, and where we pit at, we pit at the very end of the pits, um, which is about four miles from the starting line. So, so we can hear them take off and you can see the, the plume of salt and then you're far enough out from them that when they come by, you can, you can take it all in and watch the vehicle go by. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's cool. It's cool. Yeah, that's we'll, uh, to put, we'll put that on our list. We've, yes, we've got to get out there. That's, that's been something I've like always wanted to do. Not, not something that's that I think of until we start talking about it. Mm-hmm. But it's something, something that I've always wanted to go see and witness. Is some of those cars going two, three, four, five, six hundred miles an hour? Because it's like seven forty sevens go four hundred fifty five hundred miles an hour in the air, but it doesn't look like that when you're in the plane. Right. Yeah. So seeing that on the ground would just be something cool. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's, it's really remarkable. Um, it's, it's difficult, you know, um, look at the, the struggles that drag racers have with keeping a motor together, um, you know, doing quarter mile runs. Right. Um, I don't, I think I figured out one day that a drag, a dragster's engine doesn't even turn as many revolutions as its max RPM in one run. And then it gets torn apart and rebuilt. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy. And then at Bonneville, you've got, I mean, the fast guys, they've got to use, they need that seven, eight, nine miles. And that motor is mashed on for, (laughs) I mean, the entire length i mean and then it's got to do it again the next day so you figure out how many drag races it takes you know to run 18 miles or 16 miles you know wow um that's that's a motor man those those engine builders down there i mean they know how to keep stuff together and and that that's something that has always blown me away oh it's that fascinating that's that's that just blew my mind actually whenever you were talking about they don't turn as many revolutions down the track is what the motor rpm limit is that's just crazy and then they get a rebuild whenever yeah. you're talking versus a bonneville salt flat car that's running nine miles maxed out you know they're not you're not easy on them at all oh. that's just crazy yeah and it's and you know and it's you know my bike i think it's putting out maybe 135 horsepower <clears throat> you know and it's and it's a bear you get on a track where traction isn't the best and it's a bear to manage you know you, you're yeah, i'm yeah. a busy guy you know kind of keeping things all reined in um and then you look at these guys that are running like 30 you know some of these um roadsters they're running you know uh, brandon and uh his uh studebaker the beast um eddie marlin's got a 32 roadster you know the 911 roadster the 811 the 711 all these super fast cars they're dumping you know 3,000 plus horsepower to the ground and these guys a lot of these guys are grassroots man they don't have traction control they don't have laptops um their mechanical fuel injection and then there's a rod linkage to the the hammer pedal and that throttle body and that's it and so, you know, you're on a slippery surface. You're trying to dig as hard as you can, go as fast as you can. 
Um, and you got to manage 3000 horsepower and something that's got a, you know, like a brick wall for a front grill on it. And, <laughs> yeah. and I mean, you want to see something exciting. I mean, it's, you watch those cars that aren't, that aren't streamlined, that they're not designed to do that, but they're still doing over 300 miles an hour and they're sideways and they're all the way to the left of the track, all the way to the right to the track, you know, and sometimes they spin out. And I mean, I'm, it's crazy. You watch a car spin out and do a 360 at 250 mile an hour and then yank the chute and hit the hammer pedal again and pull it straight. I mean, it, it is <laughs> cool, man. It is cool. I That's couldn't even imagine right there. That's spinning crazy. out. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Spinning out at over 200 miles an hour. That would just be insane. Yeah. You know, it's the racing is, is so much more than everything I've told you guys, you know, um, but there's the inherent danger that comes with, with lands, oh, yeah. with any racing, but it's really heightened with land speed racing. You know, everything, you know, it's like I tell people, once you once you break a record at Bonneville, you're in uncharted territory. Nobody's ever been where you're at. Yeah. Um, there's nobody that can give you an answer as to what to do, um, what not to do. And I'm and I'm talking about specific details. You know, guys can give you, ah, oh, yeah, you know, this worked for me, that didn't work for me. Oh, don't do that, do this. But when it comes down to the actual details of what a guy's doing in his pits on his machine, it's it's uncharted territory, man. And and stuff goes south man it, it it goes south and stuff comes undone and there are crashes down there like you've never seen before in your life um you know some of them um don't end well at all you know we lose um we lose our best buddies but and i've seen people crash at 429 miles an hour and climb out and help load the wreckage on a truck that's <laughs> wow. just nuts yeah yeah and it's what i mean heck? Yeah, it's 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 crazy. It's crazy, you know. I couldn't even imagine. <laughs> Safety is huge down there, you know. That's that's pretty much mm-hmm. what the um the books, you know, the the requirements um what SCTA and BNI expect from us um are they expect us to appreciate our hides as much as they do. Um they don't want anybody going down there with this with a careless reckless approach, right. you know. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Right. Well, and safety, that's one of the biggest aspects in all forms of racing anymore. So, but yeah, definitely going to be on our list of things that we need to go see for sure. You know it. You know it. Good place for it to be on that list. Oh, yeah. So what are your plans? Down there with you. That's awesome. Yeah. So what are your plans uh, for next year? Um, So going to run the same bike as it is. Um, I might make, um, a change to the seat. I'm not really sure yet. Um, but like I said, I've, I've only run pump gas through this in this fuel class. Um, I've got, um, I got a a hundred horsepower nitrous kit on the bike. Um, it's already gone through tech inspection. Um, like I said, it's a fuel class, so I don't have to change class. Um, turn on the nitrous and see what it does. See how far I can bump the record up, you know? Just baby steps, you know, like I said, I'm real, I'm real conservative with my approach nowadays, you know, especially being a dad, even more so that my kids are down there watching me. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have anything to prove, you know, I just want to go and have fun and teach my kids, you know, the importance of fun and hard work and, and, you know, if we can raise it a little bit with a little bit of laugh and gas, you know, even better. Yeah. Uh, What octane are you running for pump gas? Like 
91 or 93 so the the bike the motor is happy running on 91 octane that's where it's tuned it's where it's mm -hmm. always been run um but at wow. bonneville because of the super high temperatures uh -huh. um i kind of wanted to um incorporate a little bit of a safety margin so i mix um three gallons of 91 octane pump gas with one gallon of it doesn't even really matter what he whatever he has you know he's mm -hmm. you know 111 114 116 you know just to to raise the octane enough that if there is something that i have overlooked in my tuning um when dealing with the changes in you know um ambient temperature um air density that um i don't start detonating um, and, right. and you know grenades yeah. while i'm out there on the track that makes sense hundred percent, yeah. Raising the octane rating helps out a lot, especially at that temperature, like what you were saying. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, before we run out of time with you, because I know you said around one o'clock you got to get rolling here, I've been told to ask you about the Hayabusa. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, <laughs> so you know, I've always had a fascination with fast bikes. Um, luckily, I was. Uh, smart enough to stay away from the cross rockets when I was younger, you know, never owned one. Um, it, it wouldn't end yeah. well, I don't think. Um, a buddy of mine, he's he's just into fast stuff. Um, he's been into Dodge Vipers, um, been into Suzuki Hayabusa's, uh, fast jet boats, uh, had a Roush Mustang. Anyway, he was he had this thing, I don't know what it was, he had this thing that he wanted, you know. <laughs> He says, people like seeing a Dodge Viper or a Suzuki Hayabusa. They really like seeing two of them. And I was like, okay, all right. He's got tons of money. Yeah, it makes sense to me, I guess. Yeah. So, and, and he liked to ride with people, so he'd have two, and then he'd put his buddy on one. Well, he had these two Hayabusas, and, and you know, I never turned down a, an offer to ride something like that. So we, um, we went out on these Hayabusas, and we were, you know, just, just out tearing it up, and <clears throat> we – I'd, I'd had all my leathers. I put on had the inside, put my leathers on and my helmet, and we were out on a road. And he comes past me, you know, I don't know, about ten mile an hour faster than I was going. And so oh, that's that's nice, but that that's not gonna fly. So I <laughs> wooded on her a bit and went past him about ten mile an hour faster. And about a half a mile later, here he comes. Boom, past me again and we did that about three times and i'd had enough i said well i've always wanted to see what these things will do so <laughs> i did high gear and just rolled and just pegged it just pegged it wide open see what it would do i went flying past him and i didn't see him again until i slowed down oh, yeah. considerably but yeah we ran i don't know what the speedo was up to. i mean their speedo goes up to like 210, but they're um, governed in high gear. I think they redline at 11,000 RPM, but in second yep, and yep. sixth gear, they're only allowed to turn 9,000. And um, and I hit 9,000 RPM on it. <laughs> it was going pretty quick. <laughs> Those things are stupid fast. If, any, if you've ever seen videos of them like online, you'll see what he's talking about. It's zero to 60 in yes, like as fast as you can blink is the zero to 60 time 200 miles an hour is nothing for those bikes it's just crazy how fast they actually are 
Yeah, it's it's um yeah, mind boggling, you know, it is. It's it's crazy. In fact I was doing some reading the other day, you know, I just every now and then I want I like to check out, you know, what the latest and greatest fast crotch rocket is, you know. Mm-hmm. And right. I saw that the two thousand twenty three boost is putting out like a hundred and eighty eight horsepower. Wow. And then yep, yep. uh Kawasaki is getting ready to release uh ZX fifteen R. Yep, um, yep. And it's got a, a factory supercharger on it based on the H2 motor design. And, man, I guess that thing's putting out 300 horsepower. Yeah. Wow. On a bike. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what the heck? That's insane. <laughs> That's insane. You know, and then a kid from high school can run down there and pick one up and get out there. It blows me away. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like what you said, there's a reason I've never bought a motorcycle. It's because I know what will happen. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta try it out you know well yeah, yeah you gotta it, that's with anything you gotta see how fast it actually goes but on a bike it's just much more it's quicker faster and much more dangerous <laughs> yeah yep it's uh you know i th- I think i rode that hayabusa oh, three times and all three times something happened you know that was bad uh, yeah just 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 like we were discussing bad <laughs> bad choice bad idea Orin. <laughs> give the guy back his damn bike <laughs> Oh man, yeah, I've uh, I've heard all the details of that story before, <laughs> but man, yeah, there anything's fast, you know, anything that's fast is just there's an excitement about it. <clears throat> um, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, and he had a Dodge Viper too. I've always wanted to drive one of those. Yeah, all those things are a blast. You know, same thing with him. He had two Dodge Vipers. You know, one's cool, two's even cooler. You know, and your buddies can drive. <laughs> We had, in fact, um, uh, Yawk, Dwayne Yawk from yep. <laughs> out in Iowa with you guys. He had, um, <clears throat> he'd come over here to visit us once. And, um, and I'd driven, uh, Carl's Vipers, um, driven, I think he had, he had two of them or three of them. And I'd driven all three of them. Anyway, um, his son, Jesse, I was friends with Jesse, uh, and they owned a big, um, uh, truck shop and that's where they kept the Viper at. So anyway, Dwayne and I had gone out and we'd had a few drinks and we were sitting at the bar and, and, you know, and I, and I said to Yuck, I said, Hey, Yuck, you ever been in a Dodge Viper? He looks at me puzzled. No. I said, you want to? He goes, hell yeah. (laughs) So I said, all right, come on, let's go. So we jump in my truck and we head out towards Laurel there to the truck shop. And uh, Jesse was there and I knew Carl was out of town. I said, Hey man. Man, this is my buddy Dwayne Yock. You know, he's come here from Iowa. He's never been in a Viper. Can I take the Can I take him for a drive with Dad's Viper? Oh, I don't know if that's such a good idea, Warren. That doesn't sound like a very good idea to me. <laughs> come on, man. Come on. I'll bring it right back. I told him I'll bring it right back. So he says, "Man, what? Why well, he knows where he parked it?" I said, "Look, we'll put this stuff right here in front of the tires. We'll be able to pull it right back in, put it right back where it needs to be. He won't even know." Oh, I don't know, Orn. I don't know. <laughs> come on, Jesse. Come on. All right. So off Yawk and I go in this Dodge Viper, you know, babying it out onto the street. We get into Billings, and we um uh, we ended up going <laughs> we ended up going back to the bar actually. And sitting in the bar, and the damn bar phone rings. Orin, it's for you. And I pick it up, and it's Jesse. Are you effing kidding me? You're in my dad's Viper at the bar. (laughs) Sorry, man. Sorry, we're leaving right now. I'm coming home. We're we're coming back right now. So we get in that thing, you know, and I had to. 
I had to give him a, a sketchy ride in it just once, you know, I couldn't just take him out and baby this thing. So we're oh, yeah. coming out of, we pulled into a parking lot somewhere on the, like a dual carriageway kind of thing. And we pull out onto this thing and I just mashed it and it lit up, ass in, came out sideways and back and forth like a dog's tail wagging. And I see Yawk now, he's got his one arm up against the side of the window and one holding the side of the armrest and off we went anyway we took the viper back and nobody got hurt the yacht got to have a fun ride that's awesome i was really hoping that's how that story ended because i didn't know where we were headed oh man it was i think about it now you know and um yeah we were, we were lucky we were lucky man what year dodge viper was that just out of curiosity oh what year was it Man, I'd be guessing it was a GTS coupe. Um, it's it was the blue one with the white sports stripes, and it had kind of like two bubbles on the roof, and then a fastback, you know, with yeah. a nice little. I I can't remember what year Those it were, was. Had it been like an eighty? No, I'm sorry, eighty. They didn't make them. It would have been a ninety-eight to a two thousand two, I believe. Okay, something around there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Those are literally that's literally my favorite Dodge Viper is what you got to drive. That's freaking cool. It was it was awesome. He had one of the uh he had a couple. He had one that was newer than that, but then he had one of the original ones, you know, it didn't have side windows, didn't have T tops, yeah. you know, but that thing was kinda was kinda like a sledgehammer compared to that newer GTS. <laughs> they're they're mean. They're snakes to bite you. Like a lot of people don't realize how tail happy they actually are until they get behind the wheel one and they will turn around real fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're backwards before you know it. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Oh man. That's awesome. No, uh, those were a couple stories that, uh, I was told I should probably ask you on here. <laughs> there's, there's more details that probably shouldn't be shared, but that's all right. <laughs> But uh, the most important detail was shared. They made it back. So that's all. That matters. Yes. There <laughs> you yep. go. Yeah. Don't try that at home, kids. <laughs> Bad idea. The statute of limitations is still valid with that, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's why no, I use the word allegedly a lot when I talk about old stories, because I may or may not have done it. You don't know, but I'm going to tell you the story anyway. That's right. You know, I, this, um, this, uh, setup here, these, uh, podcasts is all kind of new to me, you know, and I heard that it was going to be out there and I said, man, is this something my kids are going to be able to get a hold of? And, you know, <laughs> yes, the whole world can hear this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, uh, no, I want to be respectful of your time. You guys, you got some stuff you want to go do with your kids, but, uh, no, this was fun. I'm, glad that we were able to make this work out i've been looking forward to it pretty much since i first pretty much since we started the podcast because like i told you earlier you were one of the first names on my list and yep, i think yep. people are gonna really enjoy it because we're not we don't want to do just oval track or dirt track racers we just want racers and we want to tell That's their it. stories and let their stories be heard like your story's crazy you've done a bunch of different things you've been all over and uh, it's something different. And now it's this story is going to be out there for people to hear. And that's our main goal with it is to be that voice for the grassroots guys that don't get their stories told. So, yep, yep. I think this is going to be cool. People are going to like it. And again, thank you very much for making time to meet up with us. And the whole family love to see you too. So, 
Oh, absolutely. You know, it's always a pleasure to see you guys. And, and you know, this has truly been an honor for me, you know, like, um, you know, I'm just, just a little guy trying to go fast. And, um, and you know, I like people, if, if there's anybody out there, especially the kids, you know, that's ever thought about, mm-hmm. you know, maybe trying something, you know, you know, that excites me, you know, I might like that, or I want to give it a go, you know, go and do it, give it a go, you know, um, don't let people squash your dreams. Don't let um, the way other people have approached things to outline how you have to do it, you know, it, it, regardless yep, of whether yep. it's sports, a hobby, or just living life, you know, go out there, do it your own way and find the success out there. Cause it's there, it's there to be grabbed. It's there to be had and you can do it your own way and get it and, um, and have, have so much fun getting there, you know, and, and, and that's really what life is all about. And, you know, having fun with our families, our friends, how we choose to spend our days and our time that we've been blessed with here. Um, just get out there and get after it is all I can say, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. That's cool. That's a perfect note to end on, by the way. So, yes, man. Cool. So Orin, I'm going to ask this. Anybody, do you have like a social media channel? Any way people can go support the things that you do or anything like that? Or, you know, I don't, I'm real, you know, like with my bikes, I'm real, technologically challenged and limited um i'm on i'm on facebook you know um you know they can um if people want they can uh, check stuff out there um there's uh, no end of um uh, land speed racing facebook groups um, yeah bonneville yeah. salt flats uh, land speed racing um just type in bonneville and all kinds of stuff comes up but um you know like i said i'm orrin harper i'm on facebook and um, and I'm all about doing whatever I can to help people answer questions, um, and and just meeting new people. You know, I'm all about meeting mm-hmm. good yeah. new people. And so, please, if if anybody has something they they'd like to know or share or just chat, um, look me up, Horn Harper Facebook. You'll find me. Sweet, sweet. We appreciate that, man. I bet people that have questions will too. So, pretty knowledgeable guy there to learn from. So, Tanner, what's your uh, Instagram handle? My Instagram is at underscore Tanner Allen underscore. And then you can also follow me on Facebook at Tanner Allen racing and follow us on every channel possible <laughs> at first year <laughs> podcast. So we made it simple and easy for you guys to find. And again, like we always say, please share the show. If you guys yep. enjoy it, find any value in it, share it, tell your friends and family about it. You guys have helped us grow this show incredibly in the short amount of time this show has been around. So thank you guys very much for all that. That is a fact. Everything Tanner said times a thousand. We appreciate the hell out of it. Oren, thank you again for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Great stories. That was super, super fun just to sit here and listen to. I appreciate you coming on. You have a open invitation to come back whenever you want. And other than that, I'm going to close this out, guys. We'll catch you guys next week. All right. See ya. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Yep. See you guys.